Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome, listener. You are now plugged in to an Ethereum podcast. Your host, Evan Van Ness. This is Evan Van Ness with an Ethereum podcast. I'm here today with Kenny Rowe, first hey. of Maker, now of Archain. Thanks for having me, Evan. Before we get started, I guess disclosure, I am part of Consensus, so that is a disclosure, and if you like this, then you can thank Consensus, and if you don't like this, then you can blame me. So, Kenny, mm-hmm. you were in Maker from, from the early days. I, I guess tell yep. me about how you decided to go from Maker to Archain. Like you said, I, I uh, joined Maker kind of early on, back in, I think, maybe 2016, something like that, you know? At, right after uh, Rune Christensen, the founder, had posted on Reddit about the e-dollar and his vision for a collateralized or, or you know collaterally backed stablecoin, I joined the project probably about three or four months after that, and through the course of a year and a half or almost two years, helped kind of build the project up to kind of where it is today. A lot of uh, community engagement and meetups and testing and developer calls and all kinds of stuff uh paying invoices and i mean just pretty much anything that needed to get done you know i was there to help and and make it work the transition from kind of a startup and working on code until a live production ready product which that's where maker is now die the stablecoin has has been out since december the 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 organization has sort of changed a little bit it's become more structured it's been it's moving even even faster now but in in that transition i kind of saw that uh, that my my role in the in the uh, kind of the group was was starting to change a bit and and i was looking for some some other opportunities and so i decided to kind of refocus some of my time and attention on, on on a new platform it's i still am involved with the maker team and i still do um, i still participate where i can and how i can but our chain for me uh, was an opportunity to really work on uh, like a blockchain generation three type technology which i was really excited about plus i wanted a, a, a platform a scaled platform to bring a stable coin to like die and so those two interests really melded together well and since a lot of the team that's building our chain is in seattle which is where i happen to live it was a really great fit for me and i've been i couldn't have been happier since uh you know i refocused some of my attention on on this new project so that's kind of where i've been and what i'm working on now when did you first hear about our chain i heard about our chain when it was still scenario so i've been following i had been following scenario which was the the project there was to create a um a social network like facebook on a blockchain but the the requirements for that are such that you need immense throughput and and immense scale Um, facebook does on the order of hundreds of thousands of transactions a second Um, so the the underlying technology was was this thing called rchain and and i'd heard greg meredith who was was one of the principals of art of rchain talk about this technology and about how it kind of worked and it was always very interesting to me and so 
uh, I had followed the project, and then when the uh, scenario folks and Greg parted ways um, about a year and a half ago, I think, something like that, maybe a year ago, then he broke off to, to start Archain, which is just a pure kind of blockchain tech, and then Scenario went their own way, building up a, uh, a social network. I followed that, and I, I, kept, it, I kept in touch, and um, some of the folks that have been working on it for a long time live here in Seattle, and we'd, we'd meet up uh, occasionally at, at gatherings. And so at some point, around September of last year, they said, hey, we've got a position here, we'd really like you to join. And so, yeah, I jumped in. So Greg Meredith, the founder, is is in Seattle. Uh, mm-hmm. When did you first meet him? I assume that that, yeah. was, that was a big part of the connection, as you said, yeah. like meeting people. Right. I met. I first met Greg at a local coffee shop, like three blocks from my house. And I walked in, and I was actually meeting another associate there, or another blockchain friend. And Greg was there. Um, and he's like, oh, hey, meet Greg Meredith. He's, oh, yeah, he's been around forever. Uh, just meet this guy and let's chat a bit and uh, and i'd spoken like hey how's it going greg nice to meet you and then one of greg's other the people that he'd worked for for a long time uh his name is ed and ed would go to the meetups all the time and that i that i'd host i I started the ethereum meetup here in seattle so um the the group that kind of come came through that group it just kept coming pointing back to our chain and this project so uh, it was is a really natural fit and a lot of face-to-face time which is really kind of unusual in a blockchain space a lot of people um kind of work on the internet or via instant messenger or something like that but it's been really nice to to be able to actually like look at the people that you're working with on a day-to-day basis i know it sounds funny but um, it really is kind of special here that we have that I mean, not completely because there's still quite a lot of us spread out over over lots of geographic space, but there's still quite a number of people here physically located in Seattle. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask. So do you actually go into an R-Chain office more or less every <laughs> yeah. day? Or? I don't yet. We just recently were pretty close to signing a lease on a space, um, and then we're going to have to do some renovations to get it ready but it's going to be a pretty good sized space and our idea here is that we would really like to have a space where it's not just you know our chain offices but it's it's a place where other blockchain developers can come and collaborate and work on stuff um kind of an open kind of forum so i'll be in the office quite quite a bit uh, and so will greg but it won't be like an office where it's just for our chain people but it will be a place that we can meet and gather and the idea there is also to to do that in multiple locations around the world so like in in berlin and uh, possibly someplace in asia or anywhere we can find like-minded individuals that want to come together and work on cool projects i think it's interesting that you that you mentioned berlin do you have you seen any hubs of interest already emerge outside of seattle well, so there is uh, – we have a few uh, very engaged members in, in Berlin, plus a lot of the um, DAPUB folks live out in Berlin or at least work there a lot of times. And, and I have some deep connections with the DAPUB folks because they, they did a, a lot of the development work on Maker uh, and they, they have expressed some interest in you know learning about our chain and learning about uh, – the Rolang, which is the, our smart contracting language, as well as Zug, Switzerland, is another place that we, we're going to be visiting pretty soon to see if there's uh, opportunity for collaboration and sharing of office space. We're also interested in talking with uh, universities um, like uh, Berkeley and Cambridge, potentially even, um, to, to see what kinds of academic interest there is in the underlying math that uh, underlies our chain as well. So it's fair to say, basically, 
the blockchain hubs currently are the, <laughs> where you're fighting interest. <laughs> yeah, that and probably Toronto and um, you know Silicon Valley and New York and pretty much yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all London yeah those are all the places we'll we'll hit up first. So it's interesting to me that you you mentioned Dab Hub and, and Maker. Um, Mm -hmm. because honestly, I've never exactly understood that relationship. And I know that, you know, our chain also has sort of an interesting like relationship where a lot of the development is done by technically a different company. Although I think it's Pyrofex, although I think it's kind Uh of the same as maker where they're really just part of the team. (laughs) Yeah. Could you discuss both of those arrangements for people that might be curious like me? I would really consider it, it's it's a bit of, it's it's different, right? Because it's not a client and like provider relationship, both organizations or both projects really. So they're very highly integrated. So when most, all of the DAP Hub people were working on Maker at one time or or not, um, and then maybe done some other projects here and there, but it was very much a collaboration and there was no real hard line between Maker and DapHub. It's becoming more clear as as those two organizations become or those two projects become more defined just in and of themselves. So the DapHub has its own chat now and Maker has its own thing. So you can kind of go and you're separate. If you have a question about the Dap tools, you can, you're probably going to be better off going there and talking about, hey, I've got this problem with, uh, you know, Nix or how do I, you know, do this or that. Nix is our packet, the package manager for, for DapHub. Mm-hmm. And, and, and very similar to um, Pyrofex on the R-Chain side is, most of the development comes out of uh, that organization. Now, uh, a lot of those people are are cooperative members. They're very involved in the community. Uh, they show up at the weekly hangouts. We go to the same conferences. So there's, again, this sort of slightly blurred, at least social line. It's a bit more clear in the R-Chain Pyrofix because Pyrofix was an existing uh, software development house that had done a lot of other work, so they they were much more kind of defined than than DapHub was um, when they started working on Maker. But even still, it feels very super collaborative. Like I, I consider all the people at Pyrofix my colleagues. I, I really do. They're not, they're not the software providers that are just putting out code. It's we're really building it together. Did DapHub exist before Maker? Kinda. Because those guys were involved in BitShares, right? A lot of the people that came out or that started Maker were from the BitShares community. And a lot of the people that started DapHub were also from BitShares. But, I mean, it wasn't completely exclusive that way. But they they kind of formed about the same time. So it was pretty close to about the same time. So they were very both very young, very new startups trying to figure stuff out. That's a good transition to talk about our chain's Mm -hmm. unique governance model in the space which is you are a co-op but you also have a holding company as well i i'm yeah two of them (laughs) oh really okay well so i'm curious about about those governance model is a cooperative which is a a, it's a legal entity a very similar or actually identical to something like rei which is recreational equipment incorporated and rei is a large one of the largest like us outdoor equipment sporting goods retailers in the united states and that is uh, the co-op legal structure is such that the members own the the business or the corporation there all the profits are returned back to the members in a form of a dividend and they also have voting rights and 
a board of directors and officers and these other things, but it's a very clear legal structure. You have like for-profit corporations, LLCs, nonprofits, and cooperatives. Now, most of the time, cooperatives, you'll find them as like groceries. Grocery co-ops are very common. Food right. co-ops, that kind of thing, is what people are probably most familiar with. But you can also have like basically consumer co-ops, and that's kind of what our chain is from a legal perspective. So we have a board of directors. We have officers. Um, we have members. There's a membership fee. All the members have equal voting rights, which is very important. Important. And and members are expected to produce a value for the organization. It's not a passive role. What that means is, in our case, if you're a member, you're you should be either running a node, participating in in software development, actively coordinating with other interest groups within the cooperative to produce, you know, some sort of benefit to the rest of the the cooperative. So the the governance structure is very much members are in charge. So we have yearly meetings uh, at which the, the the members themselves propose referendums that get voted on. They can also hold they can also call special meetings if 60% of the membership decides that they want a, a meeting tomorrow, they can do that. Right now, we're building up the tools for members to collaborate and communicate with each other. So we have instant messenger platforms and Signal and Discord and Reddit, email newsletters, Twitter, YouTube, <laughs> like every channel. We're just sort of, yes, let's get the members on board. Um, and then they we, we talk to each other. We form um, interest groups kind of like the w3c uh, just want to talk about something then we then then the next step would be forming like a, a like a working group which a working group is tasked with a very specific problem that they're going to work on and that's usually then followed up by some sort of documentation about what their deliverables might be as well as having some sort of official authority to work on that particular problem and then they'll execute that and then that will become part of the our chain you know structure so to speak. We also have sort of like this bounty program where we use like GitHub issues to identify issues and problems for the community and the community can come together to solve those and that we distribute a bounty based on the work that was completed. But it's also a bit of a social check because you need other members in order to set a budget to see if what actually happened, if that was a, a good use of time. So it's 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 still something we're very much trying to figure out, but it's very um, member driven. It's very <laughs> everything that happens is is very much there's in, input coming in from the membership all the way all the way up. The um, it's not really a hierarchy, right? It's it's very much what we're trying to build here is is sort of like groups that can coordinate together uh, to produce an outcome, that sort of thing. Do you ever worry about like an outside group coming in and just? bringing in tons of people and hijacking the process yeah a little bit i think um that's always a risk um even if it wasn't a, le uh, a legitimate cohort of individuals like all the members are 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 interviewed like in person or not in person but over over a video channel so we we do know everybody who's joining uh, you can't become a member without providing identity documents and having an interview with one of our greeters so in that sense, we do have kind of this barrier to entry, at least for membership. Our, some of our other social channels could get hijacked with um, by other groups coming in. But the membership process is a bit is a bit harder to do. But even still, let's say a, a group has the motivation to go through that process and go through that effort to become 
to to produce a major voting block. The the legal structure that we have right now is is an interface with the existing legal structure and an interface with the legal system now. When we have our chain and we have more and better tools to experiment with, we plan very much to to use our chain as the governance uh, platform. So this these would be things like reputation, identity, all of these things would get in built into the platform itself, so that we could mitigate those types of of, if, if, of issues going forward. But it absolutely, would be a concern if if we were planning on just using the traditional co-op voting member process long term have you ever turned anybody down for membership like you interview them and you ask them questions but do you say no (laughs) we don't say no and but there are there's codes of conduct and there are ways in which members can uh, lose their membership so there is a process for all of that and i shouldn't say we've not saying no to membership but we have said no to other things so uh, currently, if you were to purchase uh, Rock tokens, which are the ERC20 Ethereum tokens that we've used to help kickstart the project, we only sold those to accredited investors, members, accredited investors that were members. And if and we did this for a very specific reason because we we didn't want to we didn't we wanted to follow as much regulation as as we could and and we felt that that was the best way forward and and with that if we were aware of any member that was planning on using those rocks just as a quick flip then we wouldn't sell them because that's not the purpose of the token. The purpose of the token is to it's a it is a bit of a placeholder for Rev, which was which will be our our platform token when we launch. But it's not a speculative investment. It's not meant to do that. It's meant to to gather funds so that we can we can create this this blockchain that's going to have all of these great properties. That's interesting. You actually d- declined to sell to certain people. Yes, we did. How did they take that? <laughs> uh, with good humor, I think um, the folks that we we did say no to, uh, we told them why we weren't going to say no, and they they said, "Okay, well that makes sense." But they're still active members of the community, and they're still participating, which is great. We've talked about governance a mm-hmm. little bit. Maybe we'll come back to that later. But uh, let's go more to like a high level. Archain and Ethereum have a, a long history. I, I mean, Greg mm-hmm. Meredith gave a talk, I think, at DevCon yeah. 1 and uh, DevCon 2 and DevCon 3. How is mm-hmm. Archain different from Ethereum? Uh, so I'd say at the very base level, it's mostly about the, the model of computation. So in, in Ethereum, you have the Ethereum virtual machine, which has got these you know, these opcodes that do computation type stuff. So you send it some bytecode and then it operates on these bytecodes, either, you know, moving to a different address, a different space or adding numbers together, or whatever the computation happens to be, right? And then you get some output at the end. And then every transaction must be ordered, right? It's serial. It's the, it, nothing. Every, you know exactly which transactions happen before any others. So that's kind of how Ethereum works. But our chain is different in the sense of the virtual machine that does the computation is based on the row calculus. And the row calculus gives you some other properties of computation that are not necessarily – they're not available in, in Ethereum. And one of those things is concurrency. And concurrency is – it's 
you know, it, it sounds it's a it's a word we hear often, but in, in computer science, it has a bit of a specific meaning. And it's usually best to try to explain this with a real world analogy as opposed to a computer science definition. So if you imagine Ethereum as being a one lane highway, it's it's a really fast highway, meaning it's faster than the one lane Bitcoin highway, but it's still a one lane highway. Everybody goes, you go on the on ramp and you just one lane. We're going fast, but there's no passing. There's no nothing. One lane. Now, if you were to have something that was parallel, uh, this would be having multiple lanes. Like, say, now we have six lanes, and that's parallel. And but the but the lane changes; those are prohibited. So it's all solid white lines, right? So when you get onto the freeway, you just go, you stay in your lane. But you could you have six lanes in which you can do that. And that would give you some great additional bandwidth, right? More right. throughput. What concurrency is is now you can change lanes. So now you've got dotted lines on the highway. You've got a six-lane highway. And you can change lanes. And what what that means is, though, just like in the real world, you have to put on your blinker, you have to signal, you have to look over your shoulder to make sure you don't hit anything, and then you can change lanes. Meaning there's communication that needs to happen between these different processes that are running for things to happen in parallel as well as this idea of changing lanes. So what that gives you is we don't have to order transactions serially. We don't have to know one after another. So if two transactions don't have anything to do with each other, they don't have to be processed in any particular order. That gives us much, much higher throughput as opposed to Ethereum. You basically only look only look into transactions if they affect, if they are on another shard, essentially. Uh, only two transactions that compete for resources. And that, that sounds technical. Let me give another analogy. Another physical analogy, because one of the neat, neat things about Archain is that it's, it's very easy to draw physical uh, examples from because it's kind of that's what it models is physical interactions. So imagine you have a door. In fact, we have we have two doors. So you have the front door and your back door. If you walk in the front door, I don't care who's walking in the back door. Right. These are separate events. And I know this because the door is identified in a very specific place and time. And the door takes two arguments, or it has two properties that I care about. One, that only one person can go through at, the, at, at a time, so that's like the person. And what time do they go through? Because two people can't go at the same time. So just by knowing that back door is different than front door, I don't care whether person A goes through the front door or the back door. I just It doesn't matter, right? Because I know they're physically different, even if it's at the same time. Now, let's say we have two people that want to go through the door at the same time. This is a problem. And in this case, we need to know who is going to go first and who is going to go second. So there are very much times when we do know that these two transactions need to be ordered. And for that, we have – consensus mechanism, which is the same, the proof-of-stake Casper consensus mechanism that Ethereum is going to use. But for all other transactions, we, we don't use consensus at all because we don't need to. You don't yeah. need consensus at all because it's on its own shard? No, it's not. It's on its own shard. We know ahead of time whether two transactions will compete or not. Just like the door example. So okay. if I give you a door, you physically can look at it. And you know it's different from another door. So you don't care who goes through at any given time, right? In Rolang, we know ahead of time which transactions, what they mean. Does that make sense? We know if they're going to have these either race conditions or competing for res computational resources ahead of time so that they can be processed by the validators um, 
so th- this validator can process it without necessarily knowing what the other validator is doing at the same time. Okay. <laughs> but we do know when they do need to come before it. We know when they have to be ordered, and that's when what we would call consensus needs to take place. Every transaction is getting validated. Every transaction has part consensus in it. It wouldn't be quite um, accurate to say there isn't consensus on on transactions that don't compete, but every node doesn't have to process them the same way. Uh, okay, I, I get what you're saying now. Because in Ethereum, in Bitcoin, and everything, if I say what what is in block X at this height, everybody agrees. That's what a consensus means. In this order. Because whoever got picked to make the block, put them in this order. And in our chain, we don't care if that transaction... So, like, just say latent network latency, and I didn't hear about the person coming from the back door. I don't. I, don't, I already know up front. I don't care. So when I do hear about it, I'm just like, okay, it goes here. Fundamental computational model mm-hmm. is based on on row calculus. Do you want to give a, yeah. a high level definition of, of what that is? <laughs> <laughs> so the high level definition, and I'm not going to go too deep into you know the computer science of it, but it's basically a way of doing computation with ca- with <laughs> with calculus, right? And it seems seems obvious, but it's a way of 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 reasoning about computation. So it gives you certain properties that you don't necessarily have with other computational models. And in, for instance, because of the maths that work out, we can. That's how we know. Um, it's like algebra when you reduce. You know, if, if you got a four on this side and a four on that side, you know that they cancel out. That's the math of it. Uh, and we get we get some of those properties in in the row calculus so that we can make better. Um, assertions about what's going on and an example of that would be Rolang itself which is the language that expresses this this calculus it has this property that's called uh, correct by construction okay what does that mean so that means the the language itself um, is constructed like almost like a math proof so that you don't have whole classes of errors they're just impossible. So, for example, like uh, the DAO, the DAO bug, that recursive call that that drained the entire thing or close to it. Uh, that's not possible in Rolang because that would have been caught at compile time. Then, like that's a that's an error, right? Now, that's not to say you can't make bad contracts. Sure, you can do things that are unintended, but there are a whole class of things that just can't be done because they're formally structured in a in a particular way. It's like formal verification by default. Like everything is very structured and strongly typed in, in Rolang, which is the smart contracting language for 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 Archain. It's not truly oh. formally verified, though, right? Okay, so it's it's um, it's more just very strongly typed. It is strongly typed, and I'm rapidly you, getting over my head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when you when you construct the the the, the contract, uh, things like recursive bugs are not possible. Like it, you, it's like saying uh, one plus two equals five, like that. Like mathematically, if you if you tried to express that in Rolang, it would be like, no, that that's not right because one plus three doesn't equal five. So Does that you, make sense? Yeah, but in so you did anticipate where I was going with why I asked that question, which was Rolang, and I am curious as to how much people will need to understand row calculus and maybe maybe not row calculus, but fundamentals in uh-huh. order to yeah, write yeah. code on the Rovm. Okay, so the row calculus is 
very it's different than Ro Lang. Ro Lang is the expression of the calculus, right? But it looks very different. It's um, it kind of looks like a functional language. It's it's not a functional language, but it's very clear uh, what's going on. The syntax is very simple. It take this thing, put it over here. You can see what's going on more than you can with with other very uh, popular languages like JavaScript. So I don't know if you've ever done any programming in JavaScript, but if you do like a for loop or you assign a, some value to a variable and then you execute upon it, you have to kind of keep track in your mind what's happening in that loop. Be, like it's the, the, the actual trans, transformation of that variable through that process is obscured mm-hmm. from you. And in Rolang, it's not. Everything that's happening is on the page. So every process is there. Every, every you, you can see exactly what's happening. You don't have to keep it keep these hidden variables or these hidden states in your head. So in some ways, it's much easier to program in. However, it looks very different than traditional programming languages. So there's going to be a bit of a learning curve. But I actually think the advantage is going to be to uh, young people or inexperienced programmers who haven't had a whole lot of uh, cognitive baggage to come with, they're going to pick it up pretty quick. And it's going to be, I think, fairly easy to write really good, solid contracts in Rolang pretty darn quickly, actually. And they're composable, so that means you can use functionality. Once somebody's figured out how to do something, you don't have to really recompose it. Uh, you could just use it and build upon itself to to build la- heart, la- higher level complexity, which is which is useful. Um, but it will take some learning for, for existing smart contracting developers to get used to. The people who don't have any experience are actually going to have an advantage. And I think uh, less experienced programmers will actually have an advantage because they, um, if you write the contract correctly, I mean, if it's correct by construction, you're going to get a lot of benefit from not being able to write bad code. You said it's all on the page. Like, will that mean that the, the code is actually like longer than in Solidity? No, it's actually quite expressive. Um, so in, in Rolang, it's completely asynchronous by default, so, and it's concurrent. So you can get a lot done in a few lines. It's very dense, but it's it sort of depends. But I've seen, for example, like the ERC-20 standard in Ethereum, that Solidity contract, sure. and the corresponding um, expression of what that functionality is in Rolang, it's about the same. It's really not much bigger or, or smaller. So it's still very expressive. It looks scary at first, but then after you understand what's going on, it's very intuitive. Who do you envision being the first class of dApps built on our chain i know this is <laughs> quite mm-hmm. an early question um but sure. uh, you know sometimes it, the design will will impact uh, who who is who is first right so i'm curious as to who who you if you have any intuition for who that would be who no not at all um what i think i have a bit more intuition about what's going to be built first yes that's so that's that's what i was yeah. asking yeah you've reframed okay. my question better than i asked it <laughs> i well for me uh stable coins are very important so i'm going to make sure that there's going to be some stable coin options there what a shock voting <laughs> yeah right uh, voting i think is very important for especially for our own governance uh, identity some very basic just things that you would wallets like all that stuff is going to have to be first a lot of infrastructure that you we would call that that 
we're going to try to like build the governance on top of the the tool so all of the tools for governance are going to want to we're going to need to build it out but again it's like you know it's open so people can build whatever they want and, and put it out there but i think over time i think really what where we're getting close like we haven't really seen any we haven't seen anything different from blockchain yet right so we've seen we've seen money okay we've had money before we've seen some really amazing fundraising we kind of had fundraising before it's all better I'm not saying it's not but it's still kind of the same thing i don't know that we've really hit the point where this technology is has found a really new type of application and i think that's maybe because in addition to not being able to scale either globally but we just haven't quite got what a blockchain really kind of is going to be good for just yet and i do have a a couple very very speculative long-term ideas about what Rolang or Archain or any scale blockchain might be used for, but they're pretty sci-fi. I mean, it's out there. Oh, that's stuff. great! The more sci-fi, the better. Let's hear them. So, have you ever read the book uh, Snow Crash? I have, yeah. So, in Snow Crash, there's this metaverse, right? It's a it's a world, a virtual world where you can go and you can. There's still roads, there's still houses, there's still you know the sun, the sky, all that stuff. But there, but it's sort of like a uh, a second life type place, right? Right. With lots of duels. With lots of action and <laughs> adventure, because it's a novel. <laughs> but if you think about what a metaverse is, we have an analogy already. It's called Second Life, and Second Life has you know it's got people, it's got basic rules meaning like physics right like if you drop something it'll drop you have a basic economy as well like there's digital representations of money you can communicate with each other you can you know all that stuff but what is interesting about second life is that it's all hosted by a company who owns it meaning if they decided that your property in second life was no longer yours or just accidentally deleted it it's gone so that limits the inherent scale or functionality that any virtual space could have, meaning any any virtual space that's that is uh, centralized it cannot be useful to the planet. Just like the planet isn't owned by anyone in particular, right? You, maybe you'd say there's some geopolitical forces that have more influence than others, but it's not owned by anybody. In the same sense, too. A metaverse or a, a digital universe from which we could all uh, collaborate much, much faster. If it wasn't owned by any particular company, if it was just distributed throughout the globe and computed throughout the globe, it would be a much more beneficial place to be because you could actually own property there. You could actually have some sovereignty there. Not only that, but you could add functionality, meaning in our physical space now we can't fly like we need tools in order to do that and in a space like the metaverse if you make a program you can you can make a program but it's not going to be free right like a blockchain all the computation has a cost and all the computation that has complexity and all that other stuff so you still could be do be able to do very interesting things like fly around or whatever but you can't just do anything. So that gives coherence to to this world, right? Because if it was a world that was just completely decentralized and anybody could do whatever they wanted, it wouldn't make any sense. Like people would just be destroying everything or they would just be like flying all over the place or messages would be coming in. And you didn't know who they were from or spam or advertising, all that stuff. 
Right. But if you had an organizing physics of the universe, i.e. a scalable blockchain, it starts to make sense. And you start to get features and functionality that we could never achieve in our physical space. Meaning this conversation that we're having right now, imagine what that would be like if we could have it face to face in a room that we could share in the, the metaverse. What if we could then also broadcast that and have a giant stadium of people watching in real time that we can actually see? What if we could then transport all of us to some other experience where we can – I can explain an analogy and an example with physical re- or you know visual representations? We get a lot more things that we can do in a digital space that are very useful, but I don't think those things are going to be useful until we have something that's like a scaled blockchain. And the reason you need it to scale because all of the, fi- all of the interactions, all the things that are happening, there's going to be a lot of it. Like a lot, a lot of it, right? Mm. And we're going to need a fundamental computational model. We're going to need storage. We're going to need decentralization. We're going to need governance. We're going to need interfaces. We're going to need all of that stuff to make that truly useful. But in the end, I, I kind of what I would like to see happen, that's just one vision of potentially how it could work out. But I want to see the world or society come together in new ways um, to, to coordinate so that we can do things that we've never been able to do before. Hearing you talk about that and brought up a, f- a few a few questions that I actually don't know the answer to, is sure. there a similar similar thing to gas accounting in Arjun? Yeah, we call it phlogiston, but it's basically yeah, there's phlogiston. gas. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Okay, that's funny, but it's the same basic, just decoupled from the from the token, so yeah. that the Web three vision that that Gavin Wood originally laid out was blockchains were one part of it. And then there was the messaging through whisper and the storage through mm-hmm. swarm. So how does that work on, uh, on our chain? Do you, is there yeah. similar projects? Is it all built into our chain somehow in ways that I don't understand? So uh, essentially, you know what you, you probably have heard that any new technology platform has got to be 10 times better than what came before it. Because if it's not, the old platform pretty much just worked. Okay. So what our chain does, um, all the, the the what is the 10x? So storage. So we, you'd mentioned earlier sharding. We have we also have this idea of sharding. We we call it namespaces, because all a shard is is a is an address space, right? So in Ethereum, very specifically, all of the zero x a addresses are in one shard. All the zero x b addresses are in a different shard. For example, but having a 256-bit hexadecimal address is also a construction. It's a name. It's a way of addressing things. Mm-hmm. And the way Bitcoin does it is slightly different. But there's no reason. Uh, I mean, that's just a definition. So we don't have a hard definition about what an address is or what a name is. They can be anything. So what that means is that we can have Ethereum completely native on uh, the Archain blockchain. We can have Bitcoin, we can have Dash, we can have uh, Zcash, we can have anything. Because when you couple names and computation and consensus, meaning validation, and all those together, that's what it is. So we have shards, we have, and then the database layer is also abstracted, so it's not just one type of layer. It can be, it, it's a bit more modular, so we can use modern uh, database technologies so that they're faster. 
We can also use our staking token, the Rev, to incentivize additional uh, storage. So we can use the ideas that were pioneered by kind of like the Filecoin and IPFS to have native storage that that's required for any given application. So you can pay more to have more storage. And at the same time, too, you can use Rev to incentivize bandwidth because one of the properties of our chain, too, we know how many messages are going back and forth between any given node. The more messages you can pass, the higher bandwidth you have, the more you can you can charge for that um, service. So we can incentivize bandwidth, we can incentivize storage, we, and we have all of this address space that we can use that gives us interoperability. We have this novel computational model, which gives us amazing throughput in, in the sense of not all transactions need to be processed the same way by every node. We have a, a very strongly typed formal language that's going to make it much, much harder to write bad code. We have a unique governance structure that's community-based and bottom-up, and we have all of this wrapped up in the, some of the strongest crypto that that exists and that we have some future proofing as well against crypto, like quantum crypto and all that other stuff. So you wrap that all together, that's a pretty that's a pretty great package, right? It's hard to see other other projects that are trying to be so ambitious and so comprehensive. I would reframe what you said there to to my question about Swarm and Whisper is basically saying they'll be built into the protocol, but I would assume that that is not in the first release. I assume that is a release yeah, in in the future. Correct. <laughs> right. So, uh what we're doing is we're the first release we right now we're putting out code every 2 weeks. So if you look at our GitHub repository, which is GitHub, our chain, our chain, because we use GitHub for lots of other things besides actual code, but that's another story. Right. So our chain, our chain is, is the actual repository for the, the code that we've put out so far. We have um, an SDK put out so that you can experiment with Rolang now and see what it would do if it was connected to a blockchain. We have Node software that you can install now and run it, and it will connect to the network. It'll just say, hello, I'm here. Every couple weeks, we're putting out more and more, and it, it, it's a continuous integration. So it becomes more feature-filled and more filled out at, with each release. And at some point, we're going to call that release Mercury, which will be the first live implementation of Archain. It'll probably have you know one namespace, one staking token, the rev, it'll have a throughput of on the order of tens of thousands of transactions a second. These would be input-output transactions. These aren't uh, consensus level. These aren't like block transactions. This is sort of like uh, communication channels, that sort of thing. And then as we move forward, we'll go to Venus, Terran, Mars, so on and so forth, and into the outer reaches of the universe, hopefully. <laughs> so what goes into the first release and what are all the dependencies that you have to get done in order to have the, the first release, which I assume is, is scheduled for Q4? I mean, I, I yep. guess we start with Casper, right? Like that's that's mm -hmm. got to be. So uh, we're using the implementation that Greg and Vlad uh, Zamfir have been working on. So the, uh, the difference, though, between Ethereum proof of stake and Archain proof of stake is in Ethereum, you bet on blocks. Is this block valid? Are these all the transactions in this block valid? That sort of thing. And in our chain, you're voting on uh, logical propositions. So going back to our previous examples, who goes through the door first is a logical proposition. So the consensus is only happening on things that which need to be serialized. 
in terms of betting anyway. And everything else needs to be valid, meaning the validators need to actually do that validation. But yeah, we're going to launch with Casper. Um, we'll have the the node softwares will be able to you'll be able to stake your tokens using your your node to to, to do that validation. We'll have probably um, some basic namespace architecture. We'll probably only have one or two different sort of like good namespaces to work with at any given time. Uh, the ideally we'll have some other you know smart contracts and functionality as well. You know the database layer has got to get hooked up. The comms layer needs to get hooked up. All that stuff needs to kind of be put together, and a few things still need to get worked out. But it's there's a pretty clear uh, vision and, and roadmap, and it's it's mostly just putting in the time and the effort to make sure that everything fits together the right way. But it will be it will be somewhat limited in the, in the first round. We never did actually, I think, define what the difference between the co-op and the holding companies is. That worth talking? Oh yeah, about? yeah, yeah. It is actually. Um, so. The way the governance works, it's actually kind of similar to what some of the visions of consensus is, where you have these smaller organizations or smaller projects that get um, resources and funding and, sh- and shared um, collaboration. And then as they become more mature, they kind of split off. But then there's still some sort of tie back to the, the mothership or the original organization. So the way we're doing this in Archain is we have the cooperative, which is the members group. But we also have for-profit arms that that do kind of incubation of new projects or funding of new projects privately, usually. So we have two uh, groups that are doing private or they're doing they're doing accelerator type programs. Um, one is called uh, Pythia, the other is called Reflective Ventures. And these two groups um, they have they've been funded by the cooperative in order to do for-profit activities like if you have a great idea you can come to one of those two venture backed i guess you could call them sort of vc type groups they'll they'll take a look at what you got and and if they can if there's a you know meets the requirements that they have to go on to the archain platform you you would get funding to produce a minimally viable product and at that time if there's any other liquidity events like a token sale or anything else like that then the profits from those venture groups come back 80 percent of those profits come back to the um at least from the reflective ventures 80 percent of those profits come back to the cooperative uh, Pythia is a bit different because it's an older model um but what the idea here is to to continually start and build things that are connected to our chain built on our chain uh, funded by some way of through our chain but not necessarily part of the co-op and i think that's important because we we don't want to create a hierarchy where there's like a person in charge or like a you know the board of directors or whatever that is we want to we want it to really grow organically and sort of modularly and hopefully it'll it can scale if if we're able to achieve that they are already getting people that are want to build on on our chain it seems very yeah, early. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it it is very early, but um there are already um so we had we have done some announcements, but I you know, I don't want to say too much more, but there there's gonna be some announcements coming out about um some deals and some projects that are been being funded by those those groups. So right now I know of no less than four or five different uh projects that have that have agreed to launch on our chain. This is definitely very ambitious. I 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very ambitious vision. No, no doubt about that. Um, as you said, probably the maybe the most ambitious vision out there. What do you worry about? Well, I worry that it's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I mean, it's so big. Um, you know, the I think the tech, the underlying tech, is is pretty solid in the sense of. You know, I don't know if Archain is going to succeed. I don't know if it's going to be Ethereum or some version of Bitcoin. But I'm pretty sure that, like, that row calculus thing is that's going to work. Like, somebody's going to figure that out and how to make it scale. Um, now, is our particular vision of how that all works together the right way? I it feels right to me, but you know, again, I don't know. I mean, we're not trying to build this from a top-down type of structure, which I think is really important to our global society. We're facing a lot of problems that are kind of global in scope, and we don't have any really great ways of addressing them. So, I think it's kind of like you know the the what do they say the the mother of invention is necessity. I think we kind of need it. I, I do hope that even if. Um, even if it's not us, that maybe maybe the the lessons that we learn from trying this out will will be enough um, to to get us there as a as a as a society, and that's really actually in at the end of the day, all I really care about is that this world becomes a better place. You know that I know that sounds very cliche and very you know Silicon Valley, but <laughs> well maybe not a better place. You know what? It's not that's not what I want. I want us to be able to work together better. I want us to be able to coordinate better now that is also a double-edged sword right because you can coordinate to do pretty terrible things right so keep that in mind so this is not just because our chain is you know putting out by being put out by good people doesn't mean that it's going to be used for good things so we do have to be very careful about how we use these technologies because inherently technologies are you know they're they're amoral they're not they don't have a moral compass that's what people are for so we sh- we need to definitely take this technology and, and make it work for us. So you, you said that you are convinced that this computational model is, is what you think will be successful. Is there anyone yeah. else working on, on row calculus? Not that I know. It's very interesting to me that this does sound like something that, you know, potentially could supplant Ethereum, yet Greg Meredith is is welcome at DevCon and has given talks every year. That's uh, what, that's like unique in this in this yeah. and 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 you know some of that is just Ethereum, right? But uh, values of Ethereum, but um, yeah, and we and we share the same values, meaning we're not here to compete, we're not here to subsume, we're not here to destroy, we're here to try, try new different. things out yeah. and see what works. And that's not to say I really think Ethereum at this point has got something good. Like I use it every day. So that's not going to go away just like tomorrow, right? I don't use Bitcoin every day, but I use Ethereum just about every day. So I think it's it's got some good stuff there, and I think the roadmap is is interesting, and we'll see what happens. I I really am not down on Ethereum at all. Um, I just wanted to try something else, right? Like I wasn't there with Vitalik and the others to start up Ethereum. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time to help start Archain. It's been great to hear another vision for the future that is competitive but friendly, and and it's mm-hmm. great to see a, a different take on decentralization and 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 see what works. So I guess where can people find you? Can they learn more about our chain? Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter at Kenny Rowe, as well as uh, our chain is also very active on Twitter. 
Um, you can find uh, our website at rchain, R-C-H-A-I-N dot C-O-O-P, co-op. Um, and there you can sign up to become a member, uh, find uh, uh, more information. Our GitHub repository is github.com, rchain, rchain. Um, we have a Reddit page, and like I said, uh, we have a, a Discord channel and Telegram and pretty much way too many ways to communicate. But Yeah, you mentioned yeah. that earlier. I got I to gotta ask, how do you see that evolving? Because I tend to tell people to focus on, on figuring out their, their communication channels rather than, than doing multiple ones. And you've got to do that eventually for governance anyway, right? So No, actually, we don't. Um, and, and the reason is okay. – um, <laughs> so the, the reason you would want to focus – your marketing because you're trying to tell a very particular story from a particular point of view and we're not trying to do that we're trying to make something so that everybody can tell their own story that that seems like a great place to finish <laughs> thank you thank you for being on the program Kenny. yeah yeah it was, it was a lot of fun <laughs> <laughs>